Hello and welcome to the A-Form show. My name is Alan George and thank you very much for tuning in. Each week we sit across from thought leaders and change makers in the architecture and design space of the GCC. We dive deep into their experiences both professionally and personally and share their valuable insight as to what makes them tick. Our goal is to add value to your day and help you navigate your own personal creative journey. Finally, the opinions and the views of the guest speakers are that of their own. They do not necessarily represent the views and the opinions of the show or the host. Before we get into the show, we'd love to give a big shout out to our friends at Inkscape Education Management based right here out of Dubai Design District. Inkscape is a design training institute specializing in skill training specifically for the design and creative professions. They currently offer short courses in architecture, fashion, interior design, and graphics design. Inkscape's unique training style is aimed at training individuals through design thinking methodologies, enabling them to process and generate real-life solutions with confidence. If you're a working professional, they got you covered too. In addition to the daytime courses that they have running. There are courses tailor-made for you with evening sessions. They provide working professionals with an opportunity to acquire new skills when it suits them. In a nutshell, you can earn while you learn. So the time is now. Pick up a new skill and add value to your workspace. If this is of interest to you, feel free to reach out to them on Instagram and Facebook at WeAreInscape UAE. That is WeAreInscape UAE. Our guest today is Douglas Sum. Douglas comes with a wealth of knowledge within the facade or building skin space. With an education from the University of Hong Kong, Douglas has gone on to work with international design firms all across the Pacific Rim and the MENA region. He is currently an Associate Facade Service Group Leader for Oricon, a global engineering design and advisory company. A few of his milestone projects would be the Hong Kong Disneyland, the Viceroy on the Dubai Palm, the Dubai Metro, and currently the tallest building in the world, the Burj Khalifa in our very own backyard. Also, he has worked as the Facade Consultant Team Leader on another super tall cable state building in Dubai, the Dubai Creek Harbour Tower, which is designed by the famous Spanish architect Santiago Calatrava. Douglas has held various leadership roles with both consultants and contractors, giving him a unique perspective of design, execution and supervision. He also brings vast knowledge across design management of the same. Currently, his interests expand into innovation and seeking any opportunities to reform the facade design entirely by using the latest digital technologies that we have at hand. Douglas is very active in both the professional and academic space of engineering facades. Having spoken at multiple summits across the globe, Douglas believes in educating the sector and pushing the boundaries of what can be achieved in this space. It is truly an honor to have him in the studio today. So without further ado, let's get into it. Yeah, We're recording now. <laughs> yeah, good. Okay, yeah. Awesome. So, uh, welcome again, Douglas. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me here again. <laughs> awesome, awesome to have you. So, I'm just going to quickly, quickly dive into it. Obviously, we all understand your background in facade engineering. Yes. 
I don't completely understand it, which is why we're here, obviously. But I'm hoping by the end of this episode that at least I would have a little more clarity on it. So what I want to understand, like right off the bat, is facade engineering doesn't seem like something which someone studies directly. Mm -hmm. It feels like it's something which you kind of start as a generalist and then you become a specialist in something. And Correct. that's how you reach facade engineering. So yes. I kind of want to understand, is that how it is? Was that how it is with you? Or did you know from day one that's what you wanted to do? Or did you find it? Actually, I'm the one who's always have a plan. But uh, eventually, I, when I now think of that for myself, I realize that there's, uh, none of the things go to my plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, say for example, it's, um, let's say like this. When I was in the studying, I was not think of anything regarding the facade engineering. Right. And uh, I was a very good structural and civil engineer. Okay. And my first job is to is to build the Hong Kong Disneyland. Yeah. That's a that's a pretty sizable first job to be yeah, working yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. So um, time will move on, and then you will understand you more. Yeah. So you suddenly realize that you fall enough in something, and then uh, but you are just chasing the path, and suddenly you will find something that you love. And uh, that's how I approach facade engineering. And when you really in passion in something, it's a study or go to school or having a lecture or examinations, does not help. Yeah. Right. Actually, when you think of uh, what's the subject that you study in the university, you still remember that like, most likely that I kind of uh, forget everything. Yeah. But uh, but when you think of this every day, especially right now, you have this uh, the best profession in the world is called Google. That's true. That that you can know everything quite easily, like I like this, you know everything. Right. Yeah. Okay. If you had to describe facade engineering in one line or two lines, how would you best describe it? I would say is a is the same as the human skin. Okay. Yeah. So this will be like this. So when you need to design a facade, you think of what if this is the skin of yourself. Okay. Then you will understand how does it, uh, how would it be? Okay. Yeah. So maybe I could elaborate a little bit. Say for example, have to be flexible, have to be extendable. Otherwise, that is uh, when you move, right. your screen will crack. True. Yeah? True. At the same time, it will be having some fat to keep you warm. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I also have to be structurally strong. Yeah, so actually if someone hitting you, well, of course it's not very, you cannot be too fragile. True, true. Yeah, so this, um, so you can think of the facade is a very leafy things. Yeah, it is uh, moving together, it's uh, living together with the buildings. Yeah, same with your skin. And of course, skin, most important, beautiful, must be beautiful. Of course. <laughs> okay, so would it, would it then be fair to say that uh, you know, like you said, like if you consider it to be a building skin, there are uh, multiple elements, obviously, to it that have to work in harmony. Would you uh, know of, say, the top three or top five underrated factors mm -hmm. uh, which go into facade design, which people probably don't think of, but is really important? I will think of the first things is the, the designer. Yes, always think of the world is, um, uh, is perfect. So they will draw one line and then uh, the line split together and then think of that will be the design. But actually, you have a lot of the tolerances. You have, the, uh, you have to accept one thing is in the world, nothing's perfect. 
Right. So you have to design for the worst scenario. Yeah, what if you, this thing goes wrong? What if these, um, the things will not be happening on site? Yeah, so you have to think of all scenarios. Right. Cannot be too optimistic. Yeah, so that is the one uh, underrated factors. And also the fabrication limitations. Yeah, when you draw, if you want to design something, I want to have a hundred meter of the glass. Yeah, you can draw it on, on the paper. You even can calculate that it, uh, calculate and make it work. But uh, practically, you don't have such machine in the world. Yeah, when you're doing these things, once you lift, the, the glass will break by its own weight. Yeah. Right. So, so in theory, many things works, but you have to be dig into the actual practical factor right. to uh, start from the raw materials to the manufacturing to the installation to the installation and for the maintenance as well. Okay. Yeah, so it's a, it's a full cycle. So you cannot just think, oh, I want to do something and then eventually, ah, I will make it happen. Ding, it will happen. No, that's a long process. So uh, this will be the, another thing that you need to consider. A lot of things, this, um, when you are doing the design, you um, un underestimate the effort that you have to spend on, say, for example, the, the coordinations. And then uh, you are talking, uh, this is a human business. Yeah, when you, when you do your design, this will not just happen by one man. Eventually, you will be linking so many people. You have the supplier, you have the fabricator, you have the logistic people, you have the installer, everything. How you can deliver your message with, seamlessly, yeah, without any obstacle through every single party who get involved. Actually, this is, a, this is a thing that everyone's missed, but actually it's very important. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so I would say the, uh, the tolerances, the actual uh, the fabrications uh, considerations, and then also the, uh, the coordinations, you interact with the, with the people surrounding you. Uh, if you go for a facade design, the people will just think of, ah, you have uh, some perfect mind, you just draw what you want and then it will happen. But no, you have to consider these three things first. Right. Okay, I mean, that sounds, that sounds really interesting because those are, don't things, I mean, those are things which you don't normally think of immediately because I mean even as an architect like myself like you said the very first thing I think of is you know the type of glazing and the opening and you know the overall design but yeah I think you're right I think those three factors if you consider those I'm assuming your overall design would be a lot more practical and therefore you're, you're thinking more about the longevity of the skin not really just designing it correct per yeah. se. so having said that I mean it seems like a you know like I said a very a very technical field to to some extent. I mean, obviously there is design in it, but it seems like you need to know technically, like you said, a, a lot of tolerances, a lot of numbers off the top of your head, which you would be able to use in your design. Obviously, given your portfolio of experience, I have to ask, which thus far has been uh, the most challenging? I won't say hardest. I'll say the most challenging facade that you've had to work on and why. Mm. You know what, this is a very interesting is um, no matter how hard that you did before and uh, when you pass through it, you don't feel any difficulty at all. Yeah, so right now I cannot think of anything that is uh, kind of very, very challenging. But uh, I would say this comes to uh, some very interesting wisdom is um, uh, technically there's nothing very difficult. The only difficult is always come from humans. Yeah, it's uh, always come from your, your project team are they are set up as a good team? Are they technically competent? Are they choose the same goal? Or are they considering the others? That I will say that will be a more challenging. The every challenging work that I am thinking right now is to the humans. 
Yeah, right. it's, 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 not, it's not to the glass. Say, for example, go back to my 100 meter long uh, glass. Yeah, 100 meter may, may be exaggerated. Say, a 15 or 25 meter long glass. Okay, I didn't design it, but, uh, but the longest one that I designed is a 15 meters long. Okay, so yeah, so, so oh, sorry when so when you say fifteen meters, you're saying fifteen meters as one single panel. Correct. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So so what it means when you think of a glass having uh, when you think of a a one floor is possibly three point five meter tall. So it's a fifteen meter that's like maybe four to five meter long glass and one shot. Right. Yeah. So uh, structurally, that you have to consider all everything, and then uh, you have to be considered. Yeah, just like what I go through these uh, all the things before. Is uh, when you manufacturing. Yeah, the machine can be ready for doing these things. Can the um, uh, 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 can the table to manage this glass can be moving along with these things? When you try to lift up the glass, yeah, how how many suckers that you have to consider? Yeah, so everything can be kind of you consider, and then uh, you can make it right. Okay. However, once you design everything and then come to the client, the client didn't tell you what's, 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 what's his budget. And then when you design everything and eventually, oh, actually, where does he intended to hide this fact behind his back because he wants to see these things happening and he wants to test the tasting the water. Uh, after all this effort spent and then when we tell them what's the experiment cost, and then, mm, okay, fine, yeah, so we are not going to do it. Yeah, that's... That's unfortunately the very first thing when, when you think about value engineering, the very first thing that everyone hits is normally the facade, which was going to be a question later on, but now that we're here, I might as well ask it. I'm assuming one of the biggest challenges in your field would obviously be value engineering, right? Mm. So my question is, how do you, at say your level, how do you kind of convince a client with your vision? I mean, obviously they're just going to look at, you know, what their budget is and how much your scheme costs. But from your experience, how have you seen clients kind of come over onto your side? Are they more bought over or sold by just the design? Or is it something which maybe you kind of show them how efficient the building will work with the skin? Is there savings there? Is that the kind of angle that you would take? Or how would you convince them about your proposal? I think, it's, um, first of all, you have to understand the vision of the client. Yeah. Right? Client is a human, so he has his own vision, he has own perspective to look at the things, and he has own background and constraints. Yeah, so some clients that he's very rich, so he can spend the money. Actually, rich doesn't mean that he, he can spend. Yeah, so actually this is different. So some clients love to spend, some clients doesn't want to spend. Some clients want to spend particular money for some particular things. Some of them have their own concern. So even for a development, uh, some buildings that is when you build and then you, you sell it to someone else and then you are, you are none of your business. Some of them you build for your own self and then you keep maintaining it for, for 24, for 40 years. So by having understanding your client, you will understand what their basic needs. When you understand that, you can be tailor-make your facade solution and design in order to suit their needs, it is how they can buy into your concept. Yeah, I'm just telling you a one very practical example. When you are telling a developer who is uh, doing a residential building for talk about the environmental friendly, a very energy saving uh, property, they're not buying to it. Why? Because the residential blocks eventually will be sell out to the end user and then they will be 
having no ownership of this building. And the buyer will never consider, most of them will not consider the environmental perspective. No one concerned about how many Diwa bills that they go to buy. Yep. So, so, so that's why this is not part of their concern. So they say, yeah, why, why are you telling me about this? How many energy saved over here? But that will help a lot if you are building a hotel. Right. If the hotel, say, is uh, the biggest group here, Jumeirah Group. So they are the builders and also the one to run this, run this uh, hotel. How to operate is their major concern. If you build a, a shopping mall, how to save their AC is their biggest concern. Yeah. How to maintain, to operate. Just go back to this uh, shopping mall. Yeah. The biggest concern to them actually is uh, how to keep open the shopping mall 24 hours, seven days. Yeah. But at the same time, the, build, the building needs to be maintained. Right. Yeah. So how can it be? Yeah. So if you are creating a very special maintenance machine who can be perfectly hidden in somewhere in a shopping mall, but it can be very easy to mobilize, can be fixed the thing in a, in a very short, short time, short distance, no matter how expensive this is, they will buy it. Right. Yeah. That so yeah. So that is the way, that's the trick that is how we are dealing with our clients. Okay. Regarding the cost things. Yep. So they always talk about it's uh, very expensive. Uh, yeah, it can be a bit cheaper, cheaper, but you have to understand yeah, where they want to spend. Right. That actually, interestingly enough, brings me to my next question also, which is, um, it needs a little backstory. So the first time I didn't meet you, but I rather saw you was at the Doors and Windows facade exhibition that happened a few months back. And there I kind of came right towards the end, like I told you previously about your presentation. And I believe the reason why I came was because you were kind of talking about a new delivery system. Yep specifically obviously for facades i was wondering if you could i know it's hard without visuals to kind of explain it to (laughs) our listeners but if you could verbally in a sense kind of give them an idea as Mm. to what this new system is that you're proposing Mm. okay all right so right now you have to be understanding that the uh, the facade industry itself is uh, still using a lot of the 2d drawings in order to to do the shop drawings and do all the design work yeah, most likely because of the complexity of the facade systems, and then uh, this is quite difficult to be putting in a three D model and uh, put it in the in, in the beam model. So right now, um, let's one step backward. Is um when you are having a design, what is the design flow? Yeah, so let's talk about the flow first. Okay, so first you have an architect, and then uh, they design a building, and then uh, they approach the facade consultant to provide a facade design. So normally you find a facade consultant and a facade consultant look at your architecture and eventually they will providing a design intent of the drawing. So what's meaning design intent? That means the facade will look like this. Right. Yeah. With some performance criteria, ah, that thing can be withstand of the wind of uh, how many wind speed, wind load, weather proof of uh, how many pascal of how much pressure that the water will not leak in, etc. This is the performance parameters. So they will give you two things, design intent and the performance parameters. Eventually, you will be go to the tender process. So the main contractor and the facade contractor will base on your design intent and your performance parameters to tender this project. Right. Okay. okay. So okay. once once they tender the project and then they get the the project, this is the point with them. The facade contractor the first thing is to look at the, your design intent and the performance parameters, and they will develop their own systems. They will develop their own thing. So what it means that they will be submitting their own systems 
to the facade consultant for their review and approval, make sure that will be miss their design intent. Right. Yeah. So once it's approved, that they will be going through the ten fabrication drawings, and then uh, and then uh, they will do a beam model in order to do the coordinations with the other tracks, etc., etc. So it will be finally, if a fabrication data will be go to the fabrication, and then will be do the installation on site. So that's the whole process. Okay. It's, it's a bit long, but uh, yeah, this is this is a process. So there's an issue. There's a two biggest issue. Number one, why a facade consultant make a design intent, and after that they stop their work, throw it to someone, and then uh, this someone will do the design again and send to me for review and approval. Why not? I just do it everything by myself. True, but then you would then need those many resources as well, I would imagine. Yeah, so the resources mean money. True. Yeah, so, so let's say I use five people to do the design and then uh, they need 10 people to do the shop drawings yeah, because they are in more detail. Right. So why not I am using five or uh, 10 people starting from the day one to do all the design and then they just get my joints and then start the fabrications. So you'll save five people. True, true. As, as, the, as the whole project perspective. Okay. So this is point number one. Point number two is what I said is that they need to send a soft drawings and uh, they need to do a fabrication drawings and they also need to do the beam model. But in the current technology, three things are isolated. They are not talked to each other. Yeah, okay. so say for example, if you're having the coordination issue and then you change one thing in the BIM model, you have to do it as well manually in the AutoCAD, in the soft drawings, get the approval again, and you have to remind yourself to change it in the fabrication drawings. Right. What if it's, you just forget that? Right. Yeah. So which is, which is quite common. Quite I mean, common. Yeah, yeah. So right now, what we are developing in Oricon is to combine three things together. Soft drawings, beam model and fabricating drawings all in one single model. Wow. Yeah. And then you will say, oh my God, it's a, yeah. So if you say that it's a, everyone will do the same. Yeah. So how come that you are the only one in the world with doing these things? Yeah. So we will say it is a design revolutions. Yeah. So I call it it's a facade design 4.0. So what's 4.0? So first, what is a 1.0? What is yeah. 1.0? Hand sketches. Okay. 2.0, AutoCAD. Okay. Okay. 3.0 modeling. Okay. 4.0, which is what I'm doing, I do program. I write scripts. Okay. Instead of a drawing line by line in the model, in the sheet, I put everything into a program. I write program in order to do the design. So we are designed by program. I mean, forgive my ignorance on this again. So would this be more towards parametric design? Correct. Yeah, but in the parametric design, they also t uh, they all they normally they talk about the modulations. Right. The modulation change, and then uh, you can change one parameter, and then you will change everything. But uh, we are using this parametric design to be even deeper into a facade detailing. Okay. And then we are successfully is uh, develop a algorithm such that is uh, we are approaching the design automations. Okay. By providing a parameters. Okay. And then uh, and the technical library which we established uh, as a whole library as a server. And then by telling the machine that this is the parameters that we want, we can generate by this machine the detail that we want. Okay. I'm sure perhaps maybe you can't go into detail about it at this stage, but for our listeners, any particular program which you would recommend that they explore to better understand scripting and designing facades based on that? 
if you talk about the program, is uh, the one program that we are doing is a Grasshopper, right. and then a Python. Okay. Yeah, and then uh, this is the two major program that we are we are working on. Okay. And do they have uh, do they have a live link with each other or? Do do you have to work in each program in isolation? Uh, no, this is uh, basically the the whole platform is by the Grasshopper. Right. Okay. And then, uh, but we are using Python in order to just uh, as an API in order to write something which is having the limitation from the Grasshopper. Right. Okay. Yeah. I guess that shows you how much I know about it. But that's really interesting because um, I would imagine as a benefit then, the error, human error, like you said would be dramatically reduced. Correct. Right? How have you found from your experience when you use that workflow mm-hmm. in this market, how responsive are, say, contractors, for example? Uh, do they actually get this workflow? Are they happy to come on board with it? Or do you still see some resistance from them? Mm, I can see that they are positive. And a few facade contractors who are trying our service and then they are having a very positive feedback and become our long-term customer already. But I will say it depends on the projects. If you're having a project which is a pretty conventional, which is like a block, yeah, square rectangular block, right. the way that we are doing will not be saving too much time and effort compared with the conventional approach. Okay. However, if you talk about a free-form uh, canopy, free-form yeah. facade and yeah. skylight, and then uh, that we have a very unbeatable advantage right. because of uh, this is basically you cannot do it by hand, but we can do it in extremely fast. Right. Yeah. Fast and accurate and measurable, I would imagine. Correct. Yeah. Because um, the next question I would have is this, this model that you then develop in Grasshopper, for example, because it's a model, you can then do a lot of simulation on it, I would mm. imagine, mm. right? A question that I have is these simulations that you do, I would imagine that at some point there is some level of error that, you know, you're probably not accounting for. For example, if someone were to say that, you know, this is say X amount efficient or this can take up to wind loads of X, Y, Z, whatever it may be. Mm. Are there any safety factors that you apply to them in your simulation to make them over-designed? Uh, ah, that will be a very interesting one, actually. As I just talked about this, uh, the renoding cakes. Right. We can have a design automation tool. And this is, a, is a, like an iteration, or you have a, another term called the generative design, such that we are designing an algorithm of, a, say, for example, one form of the facade in one particular directions. And then uh, we can providing our Reno parameters and uh, we can have uh, iterations of uh, the different form of the facade. Say for example, different modulations, different size and uh, different supporting mechanism such that we can generate the most optimistic, most optimum size of the members in order to give the safe the materials the most for the client. Yeah, so this is a byproduct of what we are doing uh, right. That is the design optimizations. And then uh, that will be very easy as a part of our module is a part of our design. Okay. And uh, this is a be proven will be is a, is, a, is a really great. We just did a comparison is a, for one project with having a double skin as a concept, as a starting from the, con, uh, the architect give us the concept. And eventually we just using the design optimization tool in order to run the whole process with, with them. Eventually, we save 30% of the materials, but receiving the same architectural intent. 
So you right. think of a thirty percent of the of the aluminium safe. That's a big amount. I mean, yeah. that's a massive, massive amount, actually. <laughs> yeah, correct. Yes, yeah, so like thirty percent is uh, what is what is the concept? This that is huge, you know. Yeah, that's like thirty percent of the building skin, like saved. <laughs> you you feel of yourself your own weight suddenly light by the thirty percent. Yeah. You you you, you like flying, you know. <laughs> <laughs> true. True. Well. On that note, I think we can uh, fly away for a short little break, and uh, we'll be back right after this. Don't go anywhere, guys. See you soon. See you. Thank you, guys, for listening to this episode thus far. It makes us really, really proud that we can add value to your commute, your drive, your workout, your design time, whatever it is that you may be doing, and keep you inspired. Our inspiration and passion is fueled by the amazing team over at the Orange Design Group. The Orange Design Group, or ODG as they're affectionately known, is an award-winning boutique design firm specializing in bespoke, client-centric design solutions. They're based right here in Dubai. What's cool with them is that under their umbrella, they offer an integrated design concept with architectural, specialist lighting, and home automation services. Their designs are super clean, as in super, super clean. They have a keen eye for detail, and their work has gone on to be featured in various media outlets, both locally and internationally. Their work has won multiple awards across various fields. Currently, they're working on delivering niche, residential, and cultural projects across the GCC. Their work is truly, truly, truly inspiring for any designer. You guys should definitely check them out. They're on LinkedIn and Instagram. The handles are at Orange Design Group. That is at Orange Design Group. Welcome back, guys. Uh, thank you, guys, for listening to us again this week. As you know, we appreciate it a lot. We're sitting in talks with Douglas over here about facade engineering, and to be honest, there's so much that goes into it which I didn't really know <laughs> until like we are having this conversation. How how long have you been doing facade engineering? Just so that I know. Fifteen uh, years, one five. 15. Yeah. So that's I mean that's clearly a long time. So I mean you would definitely know. In this region, for example, mm. in uh, you know the Middle East, the GCC, where do you see facade engineering as a field kind of going, or the direction it's taking mm. in say the next decade or so? What are the what are the kind of trends or the kind of uh, requirements that clients are now putting in front of you, mm. which you think will carry on in into the future? Mm. I think we'll be go to two extreme, totally two extreme scenario. Uh, one is the building becoming cheaper and cheaper, and to a point that you're becoming like a IKEA. It's just like a pick and build, and uh, no more design is required. So it would become really modular. Correct. Okay. Yeah, and I already can see that for the recent residential tower, even from some very major, is like from the major developers, the design that they have is a pretty much very close, and uh, all the design already ready available by the supplier. So the involvement of the facade consultant design is、uh, becoming less and less. So when you push it to be extreme, so one day that they can say,、oh, "I just get the typical detail from the designers already,、uh, from the supplier already." So I don't need from you. It can be, yeah. True. So, yeah. So、uh, this is one extreme, but the another side of this is、um, there must be some client, there must be some architect will try to push the limit of the of their own design. Will be tasting the limit of the technology. 
they will be trying to make something impossible and uh, they will be pushing the industry become one step further. And then that will be for those uh, very eye-catching points. Say, for example, the Museum of the Future, the City Walk, which is having the skylight on the top, uh, this kind of the iconic buildings becoming more and more because of two things. Number one is the technology right now available is allowing the industry to play more. This is number one. Number two is um, some clients, although they are going to do things with the modular and cheap for so many locations, they love to build a one iconic building just in, right in the middle in order to attract people. Yeah, so they would love to spend money on that, on that particular one. Right. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So, so I will see these are two extreme markets. Okay. Which, which is interesting because, I mean, on the one hand, that is a problem. Obviously, there are two extremes. But then, at least you won't have average buildings, I guess. <laughs> because all of them would either go to the either end, like you said. Mm. Something for the listeners, the architects and the designers, both of them really. A lot of the listeners, I imagine, do not really have the flexibility to perhaps bring on a facade consultant isolated for their project. Mm. Perhaps they're working on something which is, you know, relatively small scale, you know, something which perhaps they themselves have to design the facade for. So is there any, I know I hate the number three, but, you know, like the top three fundamentals which you can probably give to help them kind of improve their design or improve their output? Maybe if it, I mean, if it's something as simple as uh, like a typical detail, which you highly, highly recommend, which has, you know, a lot of upside in terms of savings or, you know, whatever it may be. I'm trying to kind of give uh, the listeners something which they can take home mm-hmm. and kind of implement in their workflow. So first, like what I said, you have uh, two extremes. One is the modular buildings. Right. Yeah, which is, um, we don't talk about another ex- extreme because that needs a lot of the research and the and the development right yeah so i will assume the future facade consultant will all fall to that category right so i think let's say is a is a typical buildings which is the majority in the in the market that is a, if you have an architect which is you don't and like you said you don't have a budget of uh, employing a facade consultant so what you do first you can specify a very good facade uh, system supplier the glazing supplier which is the systems already tested okay yeah so you will not specify something wrong yeah so in terms of the systems it it can be wrong already yeah so this is the first one the second one is uh, who is going to implement the systems so this is the console that is the contractor so the contractor should be uh, having a good qualifications Right. Yeah. So having said that, in terms of contractually, the facade contractor have the liability to ensure the building is uh, the watertight and airtight. Okay. So if something goes wrong, it falls to them. So a good facade contractor will ensure the thing will go right. Okay. So you have a good systems and you have a good uh, facade contractor. So it will kind of help you to ensure your building integrity is safe. All right. However, yeah, so having said that, since the building is uh, being very budget thing, yeah, so the thing that I just described may not be happening. So what you should do if you, if you are the consultant, yeah, so I, yeah, I want to build my building, but I, I can't afford of this thing. Yeah, so what I can do? Uh, worst things, okay, just, uh, if you're having one thing take away, as uh, I will say, all the problem of the facade, the weakest one always come from the interfacing joints, interfacing locations. 
Interfacing is not meaning within the systems. Within the system, it can't be too wrong because it has been done for so many times. But the interfacing, which is uh, purely done by the people on site, always the issue comes from there. What exactly would be interfacing? Say, for example, if you have a glazing and then you interface with your structural slabs. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that particular part, you cannot do it in a factory. You must be do it on site. Due right. to the site limitations, as I said, maybe the access is very difficult for them to install. Maybe the time is the constraint that have no time to, to make it right. So they will do it in not a very proper way. Right. So if you talk about interfacing, if the interfacing is their weak point, the weak of the weakest point is at the corner of the interfacing. So you think of the, um, the balcony as an example. Yeah? So when you're having your, your, your four slabs interfacing with the sliding doors, right. that one is already as a weak point. Right. But when this weak point is uh, linked to the interfacing de detail to the wall, that particular corner is the weakest. Is the weak is the weakest of the weakest. Okay. Yeah. So if you just have one thing that you need to watch, look, uh, go to see the corner. Nope. Nothing else. That's cool. I mean, so there you guys go. Uh, <laughs> go check out the corners of your balconies and that. Yeah. So <laughs> everyone can be a first start console. Like, yay! <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, but uh, but that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's 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 small practical things like that which. Um, you know, people can implement overnight and it would make a significant difference to them, which mm. is which is exactly what this kind of show is about. So thank you very much for that. I mean, that's quite interesting. I think I might do that tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever the contractor is tomorrow, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're going to have to explain some stuff. <laughs> uh, talking about contractors and suppliers, like you said, I want to know in this region, how, uh, because you mentioned the market kind of being split going towards either the highly modular and super efficient or highly parametric and complicated. Correct. How are you seeing contractors and suppliers? How open are they to both these scenarios? I imagine that for the modular situation, they're quite good because I guess it saves them a lot of time and money. How do you see them reacting to the other extreme where things become super specialist with a lot of complication? Um, it depends on the contractors. Depends on their previous experience and their own capability. I think they are also like to do both. Just a matter of price. Yeah. The worst thing is uh, they are going to do the highly parametric freeform thing, but they are being requested to go for the modular cost. <laughs> yeah, that's the yeah. Worst yeah. yeah, that's the worst scenario, which is uh, happening in this region right now, you know. <laughs> so if you're having a good fee, so to taking care of all the risk, at the same time, you can bring in a good team and you're having enough resources of doing the P construction work. I think most of the contractor in this region are able to provide the good quality work. Okay. But the point is, uh, the assumption that I just said is, is not happening in the region, you know. <laughs> yeah, so uh, uh, in the reality is the market is uh, very competitive and the clients is uh, being spoiled by the uh, low-cost bidding games from between the contractors. The race to the bottom. Correct. And then, uh, so I think we also have to educate our um, client as well is um, cheap doesn't mean the best. Right. Yeah. They cheap come from a reason. Yeah. If someone become expensive, there's a reason. There's being cheap also with a reason behind. 
Right. So I'm not saying this you should go for the most expensive one, but you have to understand behind the scene why they charge that high because of the risk, because of the people, the capacity that they require to finish that project, or they just want to get more money from you and become rich. Yeah, so you have to understand what's right. the reason behind first. Right, right. I mean, which makes sense. Completely agree with that. Client education is an area which I'm not really sure how we can tackle, but it definitely has to happen. A question that I had was, you mentioned earlier that you at Oricon do a lot of research and design mm. when you have these highly parametric freeform kind of structures. Mm-hmm. Um, so my question is, right now, is there any particular area of facade design which uh, is of interest to you, which you would want to research because you see a lot of potential in it? Mm. Right now, I am spending uh, very much of my time of the the design automations. Yeah, okay. like I said before, is um, we are writing a lot of programs. We are writing a lot of the modules inside Grasshopper in order to facilitate our design. I always making right. jokes to my to my team, which is kind of true. Is that one day I will try to fire all the designers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at the end of the day, we will scared. So, so actually, this is a one of the vision that I'm giving to my team is um, AI, machine learning eventually will be conquering, will be disturbing our lives, will be disrupting our, our daily work right now. So there's only two choices that you can get rid from it. You, 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 uh, you can be independent from this. Either you are the one to control the machine, you are the one to write the program in order to control the machine learning, or you are the client facing, you are getting the human touch. Yeah, so, so my team right now is either they are the one to do this, the, the programming or the one like me is a go outside and a talk to the client yeah, to obtain the, the actual basic needs from the client. So this is the, if you if you'll say, I will say this is the two biggest research and, the, uh, and my interesting is, or the current interest that I have to, uh, to make my uh, facade business growing. Okay. How much would you say, um, if you were to say, take your entire, say the work that you do in a year, Mm. how much of that as a percentage would you say you put towards research in your field? Mm. You you mean myself or you mean the typical industry? The typical industry, I would imagine. If you talk about the facade consultant, I will say quite minimum. Okay. Yeah. I would say that people are still used to the conventional approach. And then uh, they make themselves being more competitive by finding cheap labor to do the drafting work. And then uh, they are trying to be competitive by putting all the liability to the facade contractor. So they put the design intent to be very rough and then eventually throw everything back to the facade contractor. That is the quite common practice of a facade consultant in this region, which is I try to get rid of that. Yeah, I'm trying to not fall into the same category. Right. Yeah. So back to me, I will say the the amount of effort that I spent in the research, I will say 20 to 30%. And that is a 10% will become from the pure time that I asking people to do the pure research. And another 10% is the kind of the inefficiency when you are doing the work in a new way. 
yeah, say for example, when you do your work as the drafting work by the AutoCAD that you need a five day of work, right now I'm asking you, you are not allowed to use the AutoCAD. You must use the Rhinos and Grasshopper to do these things. So instead of five days, you make it to be six days or seven days. That's okay. All right. I allow for, I allow for this thing. But next time, you need to be faster. And next time, when you're having the same design, you don't need to do it again because you already have the scripts. Fair enough. So it would probably start off being really inefficient, but then it gets efficient exponentially. Correct. I, I would understand. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense. Outside of Oricon, mm-hmm. Maybe still related to facade engineering, but outside of Oricon, do you have any passion projects that you have running right now? And uh, you mean uh, within Oricon or, or? Um, within or outside of Oricon, something which you're doing on your own, something which interests you, something which you're pursuing, an idea of any kind, a project of any kind. Ah, okay, all right. I have uh, one experience of uh, doing the facade inspections uh, okay. outside the building. Yeah, so I am on a BMU machines. And then I hang myself outside as the um, seven-story high building. And the BMU machine just stopped. Uh, and then when it's run, it stopped in the middle of the, in the air. And I just waiting there for more than, uh, more than half, half an hour. Wow. Yeah, for <laughs> nothing. Yeah, that half an hour actually I feel like for my entire life, you know. <laughs> yeah. So when, uh, when I feel so lucky to land on the ground and I just promise myself I will not do these things again. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So what I am uh, doing right now is I am trying to establish the facade inspection by drones. Yeah. So. Oh wow. Yeah. So actually, if That's you. Cool. So if you if you think of one thing is um by the way that inspections that I that I did, I spent including that half an hour idling time is uh, sitting on the cradle. I used three to four hours to inspect something in the thirtieth floor. Just maybe 15 minutes to 20 minutes inspection, but I spent four to uh, three to four hours of my inspections. Why? And then uh, why you put someone at risk? Yeah, may, may not be me, maybe a, a operator, but this is his life. He has his own family. What, how can you risk your labor, your teammates' life in, at risk of doing these activities with such low efficiency? No. Yeah, so right now I am investigating of using drones in order to do the facade inspections. But you have uh, several concerns, yeah? Um, and then uh, except for the approval from the authority regarding to find drones in the, the space in the public area, yeah. uh, that is the most difficult one. But in technical wise, we handle everything already. So instead of taking photos, we are taking a series, hundreds, thousands, millions of photos and we can write a algorithm to combine all the photos together and uh, back to a very high definition image of the building. Wow. And uh, based on that one, we can zoom inside to that building in order to do the inspection for the gaskets, for the, uh, for the ceiling, for everything. That much detail, like all the way down to a gasket. Correct, yeah. And then uh, we wow. already tried and it's all, it already can be done. We almost to a point to have a project to try these things, but eventually being stopped by the official because we have a one part just next to it <laughs> of course okay all right <laughs> all right okay yeah so that is uh, one of the thing which is uh, we are doing is uh, very interesting yeah and we have a lot of uh, vr experience to my customers one of the thing that we are doing the research is that we have the vr experience of the class so what's what's the what's the problem of the class actually 
Glass is not just glass, especially the architectural glass. They have the, they have the coating which gives you the color. But the color itself, in a different angle, you have a, you have a slightly different color. So we are now having a close relationship with one of the glass supplier and then we have a deep analysis. When they have their own glass, we are going to take 16 images of that glass from different angles. And then uh, we are trying to combine this effect into a beam model, such that when I render this beam model becoming a VR, inside a VR environment, I can have this uh, very true glass vision, visual appearance in my VR environment. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So this is the thing that we are working, working as well. So when you say VR, you, you're talking about the client kind of experiencing the facade from the outside or is it from the inside as well? From inside and outside. Actually, okay. once you're in a VR environment, you can do everything. You can fly, you can, you can right. penetrating the glass, you can, yeah, you can do anything, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Okay. So then basically that, that makes your VR a lot more accurate because you're getting information directly from the supplier. Correct. Yeah. And then okay. we are working very closely with them. Okay. That's good. I mean, that definitely makes you a lot more efficient. I can, I can kind of see a pattern with you and efficiency. I feel like that's like your main go-to thing to become more and more efficient with anything that you do. Yes. And then this is an endless journey. <laughs> yeah. Which is good. That means I can keep my job forever, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Right. Finally, Douglas, uh, my last question is something which I found really interesting. I actually want to know a bit more about it because um, it is something which I am also interested in. Mm -hmm. Could you tell our listeners about your work with Habitat for Humanity? Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah, this is a very, very good experience that I am having in my, in my young career life. All right. So, uh, so I have to be talk about a little bit about my own background. It's, um, sure, sure. Yeah, I come from Hong Kong, and then uh, it's a very good international city. And uh, my family is not uh, very rich, but uh, we are kind of. Uh, I always feel that I'm blessed by having uh, such a lovely parents and my elder brother. So I am always surrounded by love. To one point that is uh, after when I graduate and then I start to work, I find that is um, I'm a guy is um, really fortunate. Yeah, is uh, I am so lucky. To a point that I feel that if I'm not contributing or sharing my luck, giving back, giving back yeah. to the to the others, that yeah. I feel that I will find guilty. You know. Yeah, that you feel something's wrong. Yeah, that will be something wrong for me. So um, so I will think of um to do something to give back. So I say, okay, yeah, so how, how do you want to give back? And then the immediately that I can think of, yeah, so instead of um, I do something general, what if I just using my own professionalism, my own profession, in order to contribute back to the society? So this has come with that uh, organization, which is uh, international, is um, operated by the team of the US people, but uh, they are doing the volunteer work around the world. So what they're doing is um, they are building houses for the people they need, okay? So I have been in uh, Hungary, I have been in um, uh, Portugal, and then uh, I also did something similar, but not the same organization, it's in uh, mainland China. So what I did is uh, I practically using my hand to build residential buildings, yeah, for the people there. So at late breaks, I... I put the cement, I, I put the insulations on the board, 
and then uh, as an engineer, I also to make sure the things is properly built. I need to look at the drawings, and then uh, and then I am um, I even talk with the officials and asking them, hey, what uh, uh, why you do things here, why you do like that one, things. And so, which is the thing which is in your specialist is um uh, you can providing more good advice, and then you know how to do it great. Yeah, so this is the way that I try to give back to the society. But at the same time, when you do your pastoring on the wall, right? Yeah, you are. You are actually you are training your mindfulness. True, true. Be yeah, because of uh, you are doing you you clear all your mind, all the work, all the things, all the trouble that you have in your daily life is all gone because you are very focused on the every single patch of your posturing on the on the wall, which is you'll never do this one in your in your daily life. It's almost meditative. You feel like you're meditating when you do it. Correct. Yeah. Right. So it is. It's a kind. It's a you 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 reflecting yourself. Right. This is a really, really interesting moment. Not to mention after this uh, one whole week of uh, hard work, the next thing coming up is uh, you have a very good uh, Europe tour with my beloved wife. Yeah, so, so yeah. That's so, always good. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so you have a one week of the, of the meditation and then you have a one week of the uh, Europe trip. Right. So this, the, this is a very good deal actually. True, true. It's, it's something which I've always wanted to do. I hope to find the time sometime next year. But it's definitely something which I also wanted to explore for sure. I think on that note, uh, Douglas, I think we're done. Yeah, good. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I definitely learned a lot about facades engineering. Specifically, that point about that balcony is like, <laughs> it's like hammered in my mind right now. <laughs> and I hope, or rather, I'm, I'm sure whoever's listening definitely has taken back some value in everything that you had to say. So on everyone's behalf, I wanted to say... Thank you very much for coming. Most welcome. And uh, we definitely hope to have you on in the future. Mm -hmm. um, best of luck to you and we'll see you soon. Yeah, thank you very much. Okay, see you. See you. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the complete episode. It means the world to us that you did. As you probably know, this episode, along with a host of many others, are available on all of your favorite streaming platforms. If this episode in any way added value to you, please subscribe to us and leave us a review. It really helps us get the show out there to a much, much, much larger audience. Feel free to share the episode with your friends, your colleagues, or anyone who may benefit from it. Meanwhile, if you'd like to get in touch with us, follow us on Instagram at aform.studio. That is at aform.studio and send us a DM. That's it. It's that easy. <laughs> All right, guys, this has been awesome and we'll catch you guys next week. Hi, this is Douglas Hum and this is the Aform Show. Hey.